0: Tonight, um, <clears throat> got a little bit of a, a different, uh, uh, subject matter. It's kind of a one-off subject matter. Um, it's not all inclusive about the subject, um, of belief, but it has something to do specifically with the character of God. And, um, you know, a lot of times I don't think that we as you know, believers as Christians necessarily sit down and just contemplate exactly who God is and what He's done and how how absolutely wonderful it is to have Him as our Lord. Um, and uh, tonight, I just kind of want to focus a little bit on that um, and, and focus on a couple uh, one specific attribute, show it in example, and in light of belief. And show how he he treats us. Um, you know, I, I I've heard so many people talk about God in disparaging ways. I've heard them talk about God as mean and vindictive. Uh, I've heard them, uh, uh, you know, describe him as unjust, unfair, um, and. You know, when we look at things in Scripture in light of the Word of God, those that's obviously not true. Um, and again, you know, you have to take a look at the context of everything that it goes on and the people that pull those things out of context, what it means, what specifically those, uh, um, you know, statements are made and, and, and what it's about. And again, people's understanding of the English language has dulled substantially over the course of time. But, uh, uh th- th- there's a characteristic about God that I think, you know, we think about, we realize, but I don't think we really truly often meditate on it. And if you would, uh, let's go to Romans uh, chapter 2. We're gonna go to Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> and before we get started here in earnest, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that we have uh, to be here, the time to study your word, the time to uh, look at and reflect on who you are and uh, what you've done and what you continue to do in our lives. Lord, I am uh, so thankful and just so um, grateful that, uh, Lord, you you continue to bestow these mercies upon us and uh, continue to teach us. Continue to uh, desire us to grow in you. Uh, that, Lord, you're, you're not like uh, human beings, which are often very uh, mean and bitter and vindictive. But Lord, you're caring and loving. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would see that tonight. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And I pray this time would be pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in Romans chapter two, <clears throat> there it starts off with uh, the inexcusable man, uh, and he goes through, starts talking about those that judge, those that have laws, those that put laws together, and uh, where some of the, the the problems lie with those that judge but uh, fail to judge righteously. But as we, we go through this, I, I want us to see in verse four. Uh something very specific. In Romans chapter two, verse four, it says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. I want you to keep that word in mind. Long suffering, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. I mean, it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. People think it's all about, you know, that harsh conviction and, and, and uh, tearing down and, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, if you will, the chastisement. But I'll tell you this, if you really truly f- focus on the goodness of God and not despise it, you, you will, you will repent very quickly. Just simply because of who God is. And you realize how good He is, and how good He is to you when when we really don't deserve it. Uh, it it's amazing to think of that, and amazing to, to to think that that God would continue to have forbearance and long suffering. I mean, we, we we look at examples in Scripture, uh, nation of Israel. Uh, we look at examples with uh, other uh, men and women, and how God just continued to to, to bring them along and and help them in certain situations. But what we see here is, is we're obviously talking about despising some of those, if you will, attributes of who God is. Not only the goodness, but it's specifically that long-suffering. Specifically that long-suffering. That, that long we as human beings do not suffer long. It's just that, that, that that's a fact. We have a very low tolerance for stupidity, we have a very low tolerance for, uh, continual mistakes. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we go to a restaurant, one mistake, okay. Go to the, the restaurant again the next week and, um, and, uh, they do, a, the, you know, something else again, you're like, mmm, this is, this isn't good. And, and we kind of do that whole three times a, a charm. To, I, I hate to say that because if you think about what that's saying, it's awful. Uh, it's, it's a witchcraft, you know, devised term, but, uh, you know, three strikes, you're out, that type of thing. It's, it's in threes, you know, we can tolerate one, we can tolerate two, but the third time dope, you're done. And, uh, and it's over, right? It's a, it, 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 and we do that even in employment and HR uh, stuff. We, we, we go through, we take a look at somebody and we, what do we do? We give them a verbal warning and then we got to give them the written warning and then we give the notice of termination. So, you know, we, we well, at least they, it's what they used to do. Nowadays they just keep them on, but, uh, <laughs> back in the good old days, alright? But, you know, when it comes to long suffering, a lot of people don't have that when they're exhibiting it towards someone else. They want people to suffer long with them but they don't want to suffer along with someone else and helping somebody else along. Turn over to Galatians chapter five. And, and, and the reason I bring this up is because in Galatians chapter five, we see that it is a character trait. It is a uh, direct result of a relationship with God. It's a direct result of allowing the Holy spirit to work in your life, that long suffering. We find that that is fruit of the spirit, That's what he yields. Uh, The Holy Spirit is very, very, very patient. And we find here, obviously in this passage, it says in verse 22 of Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And then the fourth one there, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And what we find is is that God says, look, if you're going to want the the spirit working in your life, you're going to benefit from that. Because remember, we benefit from the fruit of the spirit, and we are also supposed to yield that fruit of the spirit. So as he yields fruit in our life, we yield fruit out. And what we see here is we see that one of the things that we, if you will, receive from that fruit is that long suffering. You know, fruits have different... Uh, um, qualities that provide different types of vitamins and so on and so forth. There's, (coughs) excuse me, there's, there's stuff that, uh, um, there's fruit that is good for potassium and magnesium. There's stuff that's great for vitamin C and vitamin A and all of those things that, that, that our body requires to function. And what we find here is we find that what we require to function in the spirit is the Lord's long suffering. If we didn't have the Lord's long suffering, how long do you think we would last? We probably wouldn't make it out of the building. I mean, you know, we'd probably be halfway down the steps and pfft, we're gone. But, you know, the, the Lord is, is so gracious in this in demonstrating his work of love and demonstrating his his kindness towards us, that he says, I'm going to yield this in your life. I'm going to give this to you so that you can function and that you can continue to move forward presenting the gospel to other people, being a witness, bringing him glory, honor, and praise. Uh, and again, if we go over to one of the, the, the major passages of Scripture that talks about long suffering, it's found over there in Second Peter, Second Peter chapter three, a verse that I often quote, and, and it, it's important. It drives uh, the, the Reformed theology crowd, the Calvinists, it drives them crazy, because it says here, uh, "The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness." But it is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We look at that, it says that not any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has that desire. The heart of God is that none of his creation would perish and, and perish in the devil's hell, in a lake of fire. That's his desire. That's what he wants. But the problem is, is that's not what people want. It's not what humans want. We get lifted up with pride. And pride is is the number one major sin that God really has an issue with. Because you find a lot talked about with pride. And where it stems from, I mean, it's a satanic, it's a satanic, if you will, action. Knowing where it came from. But what we find here is we find very clearly that that, that God's saying He is long-suffering toward the, uh, to, uh, to usward, long-suffering to us. And, and again, we find that He's patient with people. He's patiently offering the gospel over and over and over and over and over, and over again. I mean, how many of us have been offered? the gospel of Jesus Christ, but didn't receive it the first time. Some of us, you know, received it willingly and graciously uh, the first, but not everybody does. But what we find here is we find that God is, is, you know, concerning his promise. He's going to continue to offer that. He's going to continue to offer a way that people would not perish based off of John 3.16. So I say all of that to say this, to come to this subject matter of belief. And, and as, as what we call ourselves believers, as Christians, we, let's just face it, we struggle believing. We struggle believing. We're human beings. Human beings struggle with belief. You ever have somebody just tell you a flat out lie and you're just like, yeah, no. No. I smell denim that is on fire. it's not uh you know th- th- there's something that's not right and you can clearly identify when a person is is, is in that lie and they're telling that lie and, and you're just like, no, I'm not gonna believe it, I'm not gonna believe it uh interestingly enough and and I just want to point this out you know because some people think that some stuff that man writes is uh you know if you will hardcore. Uh, gospel and is, is uh, comparable to the Word of God, and it's not. Uh, the Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines belief as a persuasion of the truth or an assent of the mind uh, of the truth of a declaration. You know, obviously it's accepting that kind of truth, uh, proposition or alleged fact on the ground of evidence distinct from personal knowledge. Now, what that means is that you may not have knowledge, but somebody's presenting an evidence for that. And it says, as the belief of the gospel, as one definition, belief of a witness, uh, belief may also be founded on internal impressions or arguments or reasons furnished by uh, our own minds, meaning we debate it amongst ourselves and choose what we're going to believe. And you always have to remember there's a difference between what are called convictions, opinions, beliefs, and doctrines. There are things that we see there that, that sometimes, you know, people get them mixed up and they think that their opinion is doctrine. And it's not. Or they think that there's a, some sort of a tradition that is a doctrinal covenant and it's not. But what we believe should always be based upon truth. Never upon a lie. But, you know, we see and we hear commonly people say, well, I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe and you believe what you want to believe. Well, that's not necessarily true. Yes, belief does have evidence and belief can be, you know, furnished with that type of material. But one thing that it mentions here is belief is opposed to knowledge and science. And I'm going to have to take a disagreement with Mr. Webster on that. Because my belief is based on how much I know my Lord and Savior. And the real science of the matter. The more I look at everything that is around me, the more it reveals to, uh, to me who he is the stronger my belief becomes. And I want to to show you two examples of this from Scripture. Uh, This may not be long tonight, um, but but, but I want us to see two examples. And and the first one I want us to go is to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I want you to see how God handles the situation. Now keep in mind the long suffering of the Lord. Keep in mind how He, how He treats us. When we get things wrong, is He the proverbial, you know, schoolmaster nun slapping us with a ruler? No. Is He, is He demeaning to us? Does He say, well, you're so stupid. How come you can't get this? What are you, dumb? Well, first and foremost, those words should never come out of our mouths. And I would not imagine they would come out of the Lord's mouth. But what we find here in in, in this passage is we find a person that is in a very, very, if you will, serious situation with the family. And in chapter 9 and... um, Uh, you know, we, we, we've gotten verse 14 is where it starts. Um, and they, they, they start asking questions. Um, and, um, in verse 17 it says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he, uh, he taketh him, he teareth him. And he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And uh I spake to the disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, some people are going to say, well, that was a harsh statement. No, he's talking about the fact, and we do have to recognize that while they may be used as synonyms, belief and faith are very different. Now, how do I know that? Because they're spelt different. (laughs) Uh, They they have different forms. But what we find here is we do find that that he says, bring him to me. Bring him to me. And they brought him, and uh, when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell to the ground and wallowed foaming. This doesn't sound like it's going very well. And he said unto his father, how long is is it ago since... This came unto him, and he said, of a child. Could you imagine having a, 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 an adult in your home that has been plagued with this from his youth? You know, this has got to tear this father apart. I mean, because again, this is a guy that that, that is coming uh, um, from this multitude And, you know, he's probably talked with the Pharisees and he's probably talked with the scribes and they've given him nothing. The disciples couldn't do it. They couldn't help. him. And here he is now, you know, in the presence of Christ. And it says in verse 22, and oftentimes it casteth him into the fire and to the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says here in verse 23 Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now now here's a here's a big situation. Many times in our life we're going to be faced with difficult things that we have to believe. I mean, you know, in the light of the world, the stuff that we believe, they mock at. It's foolishness to them. It's foolishness. They mock God to his face. They mock everything that he's about. They're scorners and they're scoffers. They openly and deliberately disobey and sin in front of him. Because they don't believe. You know, to a degree they might want to take a little bit of a lesson from the devils which believe and tremble. But mankind doesn't even tremble anymore. But what we find here is, is Jesus Christ just simply brings it back to a point of what are you going to believe? what are you going to believe and in verse uh, uh, verse 24 i want you to see this and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears lord i believe help thou my unbelief so one of the long suffering attributes of who you know god is is the way that he teaches us I don't think we 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 often think about that, where we sit down and we think about how God, caringly, day by day, hour by hour, teaches us. Doesn't just zot us dead. Doesn't just smack us across the face. You know, and you take a look at some of the other quote unquote false gods that are out there. Those the, the the what they claim to be gods. And man, they're, they're, they're brutal. They're brutal. Depending on which uh, version of the Quran you read, uh, you know, there's passages in there where it says that Allah dictates that all good Muslims must go to hell. And if you do go to hell, you co- and you make it through hell, you come out, you know, this yellow, disfigured, twisted form. It's like that's harsh, but what we realize here is, and again, it's not because that's what he says about good Muslims, by the way, the ones that obey the tenets of Islam. But what we find here is we find that that this man really recognizes he does not have the belief. okay <clears throat> does not have the belief that uh, that, that Christ is asking him to have there's still doubt aren't we glad that the attribute of god is is that he helps us with our doubts let's just reflect on that for a moment let's just think on that how many times have you doubted how many times have you just been, you know, to a point of where you're just like, Lord, I want to believe, but I just, I can't find it in me. It's a struggle. It's a fight. But but, but he, he, here's what Jesus does. He doesn't chide him for his unbelief here. Now, later on, he did upbraid his disciples because of their unbelief. But here in this situation, he's not doing this. What is he doing? He 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 says in verse it says in verse 25 when Jesus saw the people uh, came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. The spirit cried and rent him sore, came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. What did he do? Even though the father said, I'm having a hard time believing this, Jesus. What did Jesus do? He showed him what to believe. He showed him what to believe. He demonstrated it to him. You know the Bible says that, that that he's reveals himself even the godhead in his creation. Amen. Everything that we see around us. We can see the fingerprint of God's work. We can see who he is. I mean, even even the ancient ancient false religions you know, going back to Aztec and Inca and Mayan and Native Americans, all believed there was one Creator of everything. They were kind of on the right path, but then they went <laughs> off into, you know, off into the weeds. <clears throat> but what we find here is we find that the, the, the Lord helps this guy His unbelief. He actually answered that cry, that prayer. Lord, help my unbelief. And what did he do? He didn't he didn't say, well, once you have enough faith or once you believe enough, then that's going to happen. We we often tell ourselves that. Well, you know, I prayed and well, I I guess maybe I just didn't believe hard enough or I didn't have enough faith. The Pentecostal crowd gets into that stuff. They start talking about healing and raising people from the dead. And they're saying, well, that's only if you've got enough faith. That's only if you believe enough. This guy didn't. And the Lord still gave him what he asked for even with unbelief that was there. Now, again, I want us to go back, and, and, and again, this isn't all about belief, but this is all about the long-suffering of God, how he teaches us. Who he is. This is why when, when we think about our Lord and we're praying, we should be praying, Lord, thank you for being long-suffering. Thank you for being long suffering with me. Thank you when I just didn't get it. Thank you when I just didn't believe. There there is no God like our God. There there is is nothing that is comparable to this. There is no person on the face of the earth like this. that, that, That is this long suffering. I mean, we've got Moses, he was a meek man, the meekest man out there. And he, you know, again, some of the stuff that went on, he just kind of, all right. And then he let the Lord handle it, right? He let the Lord handle Aaron and Miriam and then the whole uh uprising and, you know, the nation of Israel and uh, their sins, things like that. He interceded on their behalf multiple times. Again, God, you know, seeing where Moses' heart is. Moses just had that meekness. Something to be desired. Something to be desired that's from God. What we find here is we find a, a, a man that is part of that faithless generation that is struggling with what to believe. And he just tells them, look, if you believe, it's possible. He's even struggling with that statement, and as a Christian, I tell you, we're going to go through stuff in our life where we're going to struggle with that statement. We're we're going to wrestle with that. All things are possible to him that believeth, I and mean, we're going to have a full-on WWE wrestling match with that, because we're going to. I mean, we're going to come to a point of where 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 God has given us a promise and we're sitting there going ah, I I I believe I think but God is uh you know number 1 he's he's not slack regarding his promises we read that passage what does he do he just says oh well, I'm just going to show you some long suffering I understand your fault I understand where the problem is. But let me show you and teach you why you can believe. And that's an amazing thing. And, and, and as a Christian, we have to be walking circumspectly enough to be able to recognize that. We have to be able to say, "Up, oh, Exactly. That's God showing me I can believe Him. That's God demonstrating who He is. That I, I, that I am going to trust. That there is going to be faith exhibited. I want you to turn to another example, and, and this one is, is a classic example of doubt. In John chapter 20. John chapter 20, we have quote unquote doubting Thomas, right? Everybody calls Thomas a, a doubter and, um, uh, you know, for various different reasons, they, they say that. I find some of the other disciples a lot more doubting than Thomas was. Uh, Thomas, at one point in time, just said, well, okay, then if we're going to die, let's go die. And he was just ready to go. Uh, there's something about Thomas. He was just kind of like, let's go. Let's do it. If they're going to kill us, let's go. I mean, that, 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 did, that shows me he didn't really wrestle with doubt. I think he had a moment of doubt. Right. But let's be honest, uh, if this was the only moment of doubt in his life, I think we would be called doubters more than Thomas. I know I would. It would be doubting Ken. You know, he just, you know, there's struggles, okay? But take a look at what happens here in verse 24 of John chapter 20. It says, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with him when Jesus came. So he comes and he gives them this, uh, uh, this uh, in, in verse 22, receive ye the Holy uh, Ghost. And he, he goes through some things uh, specifically for the 12 here, part of their commission uh, that's given to them and what they're supposed to be doing. Thomas wasn't there. He missed out on that. He missed out on that. Now, why he wasn't there? Don't know. In verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print uh, of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's a pretty firm, bold statement. And, and and what happens? You know, the Lord heard that. How do we know the Lord heard that? Well, it's written down in the Bible. God hears everything. He hears everything that we use in the echo halls of our deepest, darkest chambers of our heart. But 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 here He says, "I, I will not believe." He he's got to have some physical thing there in order for him to believe, and that's the way we kind of are. We we, we are evidence-based creatures. We make convictions uh, as a jury, uh, as judges, and in courts based upon evidence. You can't just drag somebody up there and say. Uh this person's guilty. Well, what's your evidence? Well, it's the prosecution's responsibility to, to make sure that they present it clearly. If it's not clear and all the witnesses are like, Meh, I don't know, kind of looks like the guy, but I could be wrong. It was dark and I didn't have my glasses on. And everybody's like, eh, I don't know. And they give like a description of, you know, the guy was uh, six foot tall. No, the guy was only four foot tall. Um, you know, whatever it was, right? The prosecution has got to have a clear-cut case. Otherwise, they can't even really bring it to trial. That prosecutor is going to be made to look like a fool in front of the judge, and that does not go over well because it's a waste of the court's time. We're evidence-based creatures. Why? Because we live in a physical world. But but, but the sad thing is, is that this is all oh, just going to go away one day. And we often don't think of the spiritual evidence, the spiritual impacts, the spiritual consequences. Those are all things that, that, that we, we we need to focus on. Thomas, at this point in time, he's he, he he's wanting physical evidence. He wants physical evidence. Well, does the Lord just come down and just smack him upside the head in one way, and then you know hit him again another another way, while he's down and call him a bunch of names and tell him how stupid he is? No. I want you to see how long-suffering and loving and kind the Lord is. In verse 26, and it says, And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Now, you want to talk about hard to believe? Do you know anything about physics and the way matter behaves? We have not figured out how to teleport matter from one place to another. Yeah, I know it's in Star Trek, but that doesn't happen, okay? And people are like, well, we're getting close to it. Yeah, okay. Well, once that happens and all the truckers are out of a job, um, and Amazon's out of a job, I mean, come on. Let's think about this for a minute. How do you materialize matter? Matter can only travel so fast, right? So in order for matter to transport from one place to another, it has to materialize out of nothing. Right in front of you. Well, we know that matter doesn't behave that way. But it just did. He didn't use the door. They're just sitting there doing whatever they're doing. And then there's Jesus. And he says, peace be unto you. (laughs) Probably because they were about ready to freak out. You ever have that happen to you? I used to, uh, I was notorious for doing that to my employees. And I didn't do it on purpose. I would just walk lightly. I didn't think that I needed to, like, slam my foot everywhere I went. And I would walk lightly, and I'd walk up lightly to them behind it uh, as they're, you know, you know, typing away, doing their job or something. And I'd walk up, and I would ask them a question. I'd be like, hey, and they would jump because they weren't expecting me. <laughs> I was a little bit bigger than them, too. And, and, and you know, you would think that they heard the wake of me moving through the air or something, you know, it's something that ruffled my clothes. I mean, they talked about putting a little cat bell on me at some point in time because I was kept scaring them. Did you imagine there you all, all of a sudden, Jesus is right there? And, and And look at what he does. He appears at this point in time. And and we don't see a lot of discussion about what happened with the rest of the time period in which he was there. Other than he just simply is there addressing Thomas. He showed up for Thomas. Thomas said, I don't believe. And Jesus said, well, we'll see about that. What does he do? He shows up. In verse 27, then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it in my side, and be not faithless, but believing. He cared so much about Thomas's belief that he appeared to him and said, go ahead, touch it. Go ahead. Uh, we don't see anything other than Thomas just dropping, you know, if you will, uh, his his uh, his pride. And and Thomas answered and said unto him, "My Lord and my God." But again, here he is just saying, you know, I I, I just want you to believe. I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you when you struggle in your unbelief. I'm going to help you when you go through those dark hours of doubt. Cuz in, in verse 29 Jesus saith unto him Thomas because thou hast seen me and thou hast believed blessed are they that have not seen and have yet believed. You know and and, and that's a pretty big thing when you think about it. We believe some pretty amazing stuff. We believe some things that that that, like I said, the world struggles at and calls foolishness. The Trinity. People struggle with that and don't believe it. The Muslims still say that we're polytheistic because they can't get their they can't believe. Same with the Jews. They reject Jesus Christ completely. And again, they say if you believe in Him, you're believing in more than one God. But God shows throughout scripture, Jesus Christ is God. It's the whole subject matter of the book of John. And, and, and and we find here, you know, again, individuals that are going to be having a hard time believing some things. Believing that somebody raises from the dead, that's a tough thing. To them, that's all the thing that you see in movies and soap operas. That's the stuff that they believe in. And they're so you know, if you will, concerned about that, but they know it's fiction, and they, they don't necessarily believe it's true. But here, here's Jesus Christ raised from the dead, revealing himself to one of the disciples who was struggling with that belief, who was struggling. He had not yet seen his Savior. You know, we think about this for a minute and, and just think, none of us have seen Jesus Christ. Face-to-face, none of us have seen Jesus Christ. Number one, we're not that old. We may feel that old, but we're not that old. Okay? That being said, we still believe. Because we have seen Christ. Face-to-face. Said like Moses saw him face to face, but you're like, well, no, he only saw the backside. No, it says face to face. Well, how did he do that? Through the Word of God, he wrote five books. You think about this just for uh, just, just for a moment, and how God just continues to demonstrate that attribute of long-suffering towards us. We struggle with unbelief. He's there to teach us. When we struggle with doubt, He's there to assure us. And I think it's one of the greatest things that, that, that a believer can ever, ever, really, truly grasp a hold of that'll keep you on that path I mean, cause let's face it, I mean, some of us here have struggled with eternal security and assurance of salvation. I have. As a young child, I struggled with that. Not a young child, I should say older teenager. Struggled with it. But again, that struggle really was not much of a struggle except for me struggling with myself. Why was that? Because I didn't have the relationship with Christ that I should have. That'll mess with your assurance right quick. If you're not where you're supposed to be and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and you're not in the will of God, you're going to wrestle with that. You're going to struggle. But here's an individual or here's two individuals that, that just flat out said they had unbelief. And what does God do? He very carefully shows them that they can believe. And I kind of challenge us to do this. I challenge us to to really meditate on who God is. Think about him and his attributes, his grace, his mercy, his love, his long-suffering. All of these things that we know about who God is and how we see that evidenced in our life. The more you seek God in your life and seek his hand and his fingerprint in what is going on on a day to day basis, the more close you will be in that relationship. Why? Because you're trying to draw near to him. And as you draw near to him, what does he do? He draws near to you. And just simply reflecting on that attribute of long-suffering is going to help us when we struggle with unbelief. Lord, you you taught these two individuals that they could believe. By faith, I'm going to take what you put down here I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to pray that, Lord, you'd help my unbelief. And the amazing thing is, he always does. Because he is a long-suffering, caring, compassionate, gracious Lord and Savior. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time you've given to us. I thank you again for this opportunity just to reflect on who you are and see exactly who we are. And that, Lord, we struggle with unbelief and we struggle believing many things. But, Lord, I want to thank you for just being that schoolmaster and teacher that cares about us learning the lesson. Lord, may we be very yielded to Your Holy Spirit, that we would learn the lessons. That Lord, we would see Your hand. That the Lord, we would continue to grow in the knowledge of You, and believe You more and more and more and more every single day. Thank You again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray You take us home safely, and I ask and pray this in Your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.